you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Well, hello and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. This is episode number 115 and I am Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to successfully deliver your retail transformation. Now, as we look back over the past few years and in particular at the past few months, of course, many of the retail success stories have come from the so-called pure play retailers. And that word pure play has, of course, become interchangeable with e-commerce only. With companies like Amazon, ASOS and Gymshark leading the way, today we're asking, are there elements and even behaviours that traditional retailers can learn from these pure play e-commerce only upstarts? And if there are lessons, can traditional retailers think and act like a pure play retailer? And should they? So to guide us through today, I'm really excited to be joined by Sarah Morris, a retail consultant with particular expertise in buying and merchandising and commercial activities. She draws on her broad experience with leading retailers here in the UK, including companies like John Lewis, Tesco and Marks and Spencers. You know, she's held leadership positions in a number of different roles and across many different categories and sectors within the retail industry as well, from grocery to department stores to fashion, and with a whole load of different ownership models as well. All of those add in lots of different complexity and different challenges as well, of course. Sarah's skill set, as you'll hear as we go through the conversation, is about strategically positioning the customer proposition, optimizing cash flow and profitability, and then leading commercial change projects as well. So I'm really excited to jump into this topic today to discover what elements traditional retailers can learn from pure play retailers and how to put that into action. Show notes are available at obandco.uk slash 115. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Morris. Enjoy. So I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Morris onto the show. Sarah, how are you? I'm very well, Oliver. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm delighted to join you. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. And I know we're going to be having an awesome conversation. It's lined up to be a real cracker of a show. You know, we've been talking about traditional retailers and pure plays for the last few years, really, as e-commerce has continued to blossom and a lot over the past few months, obviously, during the pandemic, etc. And we've seen some different players that have done very well. And we've seen some transitions between bricks and mortar retail and online retail as well, of course. But over the past few months in particular, what difference have we seen between traditional and pure play retailers? Well, Oliver, I mean, I think the first thing to say is this year obviously has been unprecedented. And one of the things we've seen has been that accelerated growth of online sales. So I think now mm. it's about over a third of all total sales across all types of retail. Yeah. 
And I think what that's meant is that for traditional businesses, retailers, a lot of them are now predominantly digital. So I think, you know, famously, John Lewis um, has quoted that they're now performing well over 50% on online. Mm. Obviously, part of that is because stores have been closed. But I think there's a general belief that that is going to be a shift that's going to stick with that higher proportion. Mm. And I think Dame Sharon White has predicted it goes to about two thirds online, I seem to recall. Absolutely. Absolutely. She has indeed. And I think in terms of the performance of different types of retailers, the pure plays have been more resilient and they have performed well. So even in the difficult sector of fashion, you know, we've seen ASOS and Boohoo still turn in good results, while sadly, some of the traditional retailers have um, struggled or succumbed, obviously, most notably Debenhams and Arcadia. Mm. I think, though, you know, we've also seen retailers like Dixons, who are in the strong technology category um, and have a very sort of good presence in both digital and physical, perform strongly. So I guess it's not a one size fits all. Sure. And I think it's really interesting as you begin to look at the different categories. Clothing, certainly for me, a few years ago, as e-commerce was just beginning to blossom, clothing was one of the uh, categories. I was like, I'm not sure if this is going to work online because of the whole trying on fitting rooms, etc which obviously has resulted in a different challenge in returns, but that's a whole different topic, which we're not going to get into today. <laughs> um, but I've been quite surprised at how much that has shifted to online. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I think there were quite a lot of sceptics around the fashion piece, but I think the convenience outweighs you know, a lot of those disadvantages, Yeah, particularly now that things like delivery options and returns are so much more seamless. I think we're now seeing that even brands like Jigsaw or whatever, um, whereas maybe to start with a few years ago, you'd have only shopped from platforms like John Lewis. Now, you know, their proposition on those things like delivery is as strong across the piece. So I think those sort of barriers have gone. And if you take you know, COVID from this year, then clearly when people are feeling more nervous about getting out and about, those behaviours have become even more ingrained. Sure. So I want to just shift direction slightly. We're thinking about how traditional retailers can think and act like pure plays. So let's just understand what is the difference between pure play retailers and traditional retailers? What's the structure, I suppose, inside of the business? Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess to state the obvious, a pure play is one that is 100% digital or, or as near as damn it. Mm. I think the first thing that's different is that because when you're trading online, you have that absolutely direct relationship with the customer, you can really own that relationship when you're a pure play. Mm hmm. You know so much about your customer, even before they've come to your website, you know how they're behaving. Mm. And you know if they're new or returning customers. So therefore, you can be very customer centric. Yep. I think that leads to the second point, which is you are very data driven when you are a pure play because you can get that data very specifically. So even if we take a couple of stats such as footfall, which is traffic to a website and conversion, those are notoriously quite difficult to measure in physical space accurately. Yep. But online, you've got those very accurate statistics. So you can really see what's going on. 
And that enables you to target more accurately and, of course, personalize your offer as well to your customers. And I think that leads to the sort of third point, which is all of that data and customer focus means that you can be much more agile. It's also easier to test things online much more quickly than in stores. You know, whether that's things like changing delivery threshold level of when you get free delivery to see how the customer reacts to that, or whether it's um, changing the layout on the website um, or a promotion. You know, you get that data very, very quickly. Mm. And I think lastly, as a pure play, you know, you don't have any of the legacy issues. You don't have a large cost base of stores and you don't have large, sort of maybe unwieldy internal structures with vested interests and hierarchies. But I think pure plays do fall into two quite distinct types as well, because you've got mm. what I would describe, Oliver, as the sort of tech-driven businesses like Amazon and Ocado, who often describe themselves as technology businesses that happen to be retailers. Yep. And then I think at the other end of the spectrum, because it's so easy, in inverted commas, to launch uh, a business or a brand online, You've then got the sort of entrepreneurial brands that tend to be very product and purpose driven. So, you know, a good example success story would be, say, Gymshark, um, you know, as one of those. So I think even in the pure play world, you've got these very different types of businesses compared to a traditional retailer. I think it's really interesting and absolutely for some of the brand new companies that have come in, you know, Add Google Analytics, very quick, very easy. You've got tons of data. And like you say, you know, the use of, of cookies, et cetera, retargeting and sort of social ads and all those sort of different elements. Plus then overlay that with continual optimization, A-B testing, blah, 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 blah. I think there's a wealth of different options for tinkering where if you were to translate that into a classic shop, you're going to be looking at just tweaking displays here and there or perhaps signage but it's it's a lot harder to do when you've got stores up and down the country you've got each store is in its own specific location with its own specific customer demographic group that is based in that location different people there's so many more variables compared to the four sides of the window that you have open on a on a browser phone laptop whatever i think that's that's quite interesting Absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously one of the other trends has been for people to shop more locally. And I think if you set up, you know, a store, you can own that customer relationship and be very close to your customer in the way that I was describing you can as a pure play. But when it comes to scale that, as you've just described, that's a very different operation from, you know, running a local business to try and deliver that um, at scale Mm. is very difficult. Whereas, you know, you can probably scale up relatively more easily as a pure play. Yeah, uh, certainly you can base yourself in one location from a warehouse perspective or even outsource that warehouse completely, right? Absolutely. And then just begin to get going. And I think it's really interesting, I suppose, as a shift for the whole retail industry that nowadays, You can get started using Shopify or any of the other different online platforms. You know, you you could be up and running later on today, right? Um, You could then get into Facebook ads, Instagram ads, blah, blah, blah. And you could be trading properly within a very, very short time. Whereas to try and do that historically, it would just be so difficult. And then to move from one shop to two shops, 
again, it's a it's a very big, steep hill to move up that scale challenge, but pure play is, is very quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things I enjoy doing is, you know, mentoring some startups. Mm. And one of the first things they say, you know, is where they all want to get on to, say, a John Lewis or, you know, as something that's going to give them that scale and reach. But as you've said, actually, the route to really build your brand and that relationship and customer knowledge is to to do it through your own social activity and digital marketing, because that way you keep complete control of the relationship. And obviously, it's more profitable as well. So it, it is very interesting how those whole dynamics have changed in terms of you know barriers to entry not being there as they were in the past. Mm. Yeah, and that and that shifts a whole number of different things that um, you've you've already described, and and more, of course, as well. I want to talk more about the structures, the internal organisation structures. I mean, of the two, the pure play and the traditional retailer, how do they differ? Well, it's a great question, Oliver, and I, I suspect there's lots of very different models out there. I mean, I think typically a traditional retailer will have the commercial functions, buying merchandising sourcing, trading, design. And I think, you know, that all varies and differs depending on the type of sector, whether you're fashion and very creative or more FMCG. You tend to have operations, retail shops, distribution and supply chain. And often you still see channels split, Yep. typically. And then marketing and customer with a sort of creative execution insight and sometimes strategy. And I think in these traditional retailers, digital tended to start as a completely separate channel, maybe even a separate business. Mm -hmm. As it was, John Lewis sort of bought a standalone business. Then it's become more integrated with just the specific digital functions split out. And I think, you know, we'll think we're going to see more change on that front. I think in the pure play side, they do have similar functions, but their structures are usually flatter um, and their teams probably less siloed, I would say. And mm. support functions such as IT that in a traditional retailer are often very distinct from the more customer-facing functions are often you know, central in a pure play. So particularly if they're, they're technically driven, then technical IT and data are absolutely at their heart. Which is almost impossible to do anything without some involvement of IT, right? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, that, that is the driver for all of their performance, uh, the platform that they're performing on and obviously any change. I think, again, it goes back to those two different types of pure plays because clearly if you're technology driven and, you know, even ASOS would probably describe themselves in that way, then you're constantly evolving the delivery to the customer and adding extra services um, like say for example visual search you know which is now becoming much more common mm. and that's going to drive your business I think if you're the other type of pure play that's very product or brand driven then in that type of business I think the center is very much in those creative operations and the operational side tends to sort of follow the creative more. So again, I think you've got differences. But one of the things I was thinking, which is quite interesting, is that whether you're traditional or a pure play, you've still got to get that marriage of data and creativity to get the best possible result mm. for the customer. And how have you seen that 
working or not working, I suppose, between between some different companies, Sarah? Well, that's a very good question. I think that some of the thinking about some of the sort of smaller, um, more brand and creatively driven businesses, mm. I think as they start to grow, what becomes more challenging is to get the operational side to be strong, to support them to that next level of growth. Mm. Because typically they've started with you know great brand purpose and execution, but they haven't necessarily got some of the traditional functions such as merchandising and planning to support them. Mm. So I think, you know, that that can then be a challenge. I think that in pure plays, we can see some challenges when they go into areas that need more creativity. So I guess a great example would be Amazon. Mm. I think they've struggled most in the fashion space. I know they have a large fashion business now. But I think understanding what's required to build a business in an area which is very much led by creativity um, has been probably the most difficult sector for them. And I think, you you know, you see that. Mm. And I think in traditional retailers, what you often find is that they can be quite siloed in the way that they work. They're often made up of you know, functional specialists who focus on their part of the end-to-end. So actually getting the right balance between creativity, whether it's coming from marketing or design, and um, strength on the operational and analytical side uh, and using data sensibly, I think can be more difficult. Mm. Equally, if the way they manage their channels is still very separate, They've got, they're actually talking different languages because they're looking at different KPIs. So that also makes it difficult to get this kind of holistic view um, and use of data and creative execution to the customer mm. to work really well. I think it's really interesting because I've certainly worked with some clients in the past where the whole visual merchandising piece is very much an art form and it's not a science and it can't be measured or even critiqued. And there is this sort of feeling that actually in my store, I am the visual expert and I know what's best for my local demographic. Whereas in your store, you're the visual expert and you have a different opinion. And there's very little really to, to say whether we're right, we're wrong, who's better, who's not, etc. Yeah. And I think as you shift into that pure play world, merchandising takes on a slightly different guise to classic visual merchandising. But again, all of that data is right there. You can look at how your homepage is set up. You can do your A-B tests very, very quickly yep. using you know detailed analytics to assess actually what is the dwell time, what's the sort of bounce rate, blah, 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 and work out actually this is clearly better for conversion. This is clearly better for, for length of visit, all the different KPIs that you want to be thinking about. Absolutely. So I think you know you can see so much immediately of what's happening online. But I guess, you know, that's where the whole world of data now, the holy grail, is getting that joined up view of the customer Mm. so that you can actually see the behavior across channels um, by in which case it's much easier to sort of work out um, how to target that customer and how to get the best value from that customer over their lifetime. Mm. And, you know, that's the challenge, I guess, again, for a traditional retailer to organize themselves in a way to be able to capitalize 
on the data and the customer relationship in the same way that a pure play can. Yeah. So as we start to think about that traditional retailer learning and responding to the ongoing rise of e-commerce, the ongoing rise of data, etc., how are you seeing different retailers responding? Well, I think the first thing is that this year and COVID has been a huge spur for innovation mm. and acceleration across the piece, across all types of retailers. You know, we've seen new services being launched in record time, in weeks and days, you know, whether it's click and collect or click and drive through and online appointments, online consultations, you know, things that have been talked about for ages. So I think that's been interesting because it's been the agility of how traditional retailers have responded. I think we've also seen a real recognition of the need to transform. Retailers such as M&S have been talking actively about trying to act more as a pure play. And some of the different responses we've seen, I think, have been quite interesting. So if we take M&S as an example, they've created MS2 inside their clothing and home area, which the description is about bringing together data and creativity as opposed to before online as a channel was completely separate. Mm. They've also had for a while a chief data and digital officer, and that I think is a key role to do this unification of one view of the customer and link the backroom activity so that the customer-facing activity is joined up with the data. So that that's one response that they've taken. Mm, interesting. It is interesting. And I think you know, other things I've heard about, which are less around the structure, but more around the way of working, is that retailers such as Next, for example, have described that they're going to be planning their online range first, rather than what has traditionally been the way for traditional retailers, which is you plan your stores range and then you add some extra options for online, mm. which doesn't really make sense if that's your major channel or where everyone's starting to shop. So a sort of change in that. I think then I was very interested to see that when Simon Roberts took over the CEO role at Sainsbury's, he brought together retail and digital under one direction, under one director. Yes, yes, of course. Which is a you know really interesting uh, move for how that they as a retailer execute to the customer. However, you know I think it could also be very challenging because you need to have the right skills in your team as running stores and a website is very different. So, not necessarily um, are some of these bold moves easy um, to be successful with. I've also seen um, some retailers who have been advertising roles in more in the commercial space uh, and really sort of emphasizing the need to have digital expertise. So I saw, for example, Jigsaw advertising for a trading director and they were stressing online trading. So it sounded like they were joining up this commercial approach to trading across channels. Mm. And I think sort of lastly, one of the areas where you would expect to see a response is, I think, in the marketing space, because again, you know, owning that view of the customer and also the spend you know, has been moving a lot from traditional methods of advertising and marketing to more digital marketing. But interestingly, I, I was sort of speaking to a senior marketing director who said that actually, from what he's seeing, that's not happening as much as you might think. Mm. Um, and that one of the other responses may be this year around COVID has made 
some companies more risk adverse and maybe even less customer centric. They've been sort of focusing more on maybe the harder, you know, financial type functions and that some of the marketing roles are still very narrow Mm. in their definition, which seems counterintuitive. So I was quite surprised to see that because you would imagine that actually it was in that space where retailers would be trying to join together the customer and have a very strong person leading brand. So it might be interesting to see how that will play out. Mm, Definitely. Definitely. That almost goes against the trend that we've seen over the past few years as attention shifts into compliance around COVID, safety, etc. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, Oliver, but I, I kind of get the sense from people I've been talking to that whilst everyone wants to take a really strategic view, they just haven't had the time and bandwidth often this year to be able to do that. Well, absolutely. We were talking just before we hit the record button around the great big Brexit debate, right? And how absolutely it's so uncertain and things continue to come out of the woodwork relatively late on. And we've seen this now several times with Brexit. We've seen it with coronavirus several times. And actually, it's almost becoming ingrained as a wait till the very last second and then other do, 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 do. (laughs) Well, I think that's right, isn't it? And on one hand, I think we're all saying that some of these things are here to stay, such as the channel shift. But at the same time, things could look very different in six months. So I guess it's getting a balance between having a a strategy that's going to change your business in the right way while staying agile enough to adapt that Mm. to the changing conditions um, and how customers will react to them. Indeed. Indeed. So, Sarah, just as we begin to come to the end of the conversation, Mm. I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on what traditional retailers should be doing, the sort of the biggest one or two things that they should be doing to think and act more like pure players, taking the best of what we have seen those very successful companies doing. Yes. What should a traditional retailer do? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think it does all come back to analytics and the customer. Mm. I think really using insight to understand the customer and join their data up. And think digital first as well, because I think often it's still being seen very separately. Mm. And then I guess it's about the sort of speed and the agility, really, to sort of act and test and learn. But the other one, I think, which is not necessarily just about pure plays, but is something that's been talked about a lot at the moment, is this whole sense of brand purpose and being very clear what your brand and business stands for. And I think that traditional retailers need to be very clear on that as well, because they also need to understand their their USPs as a business because yeah. I don't think we want another boohoo, for example. You know, so it's about taking some of these things that we've identified are strong about pure plays, but then adding them to your business's brand purpose and USPs to make sure you're focusing on changing the right things. I don't think physical retail is dead, so I think there's going to be opportunities for those who can combine some of these characteristics of pure plays with a fantastic retail experience across all channels. You know, that that I think is still going to be relevant. I couldn't agree with you more. I think absolutely there are huge opportunities, but purpose is really ultimately essential to be able to stand apart, to be able to serve your customers effectively, because it's got to be more than just 
putting stuff on a shelf and selling it through a checkout, whether that's online or offline, it's got to be more than that and about really appealing to your customers' goals and aspirations and fears and worries and really serving them in their life because they're not thinking about retail as the number one thing. It just happens to be something that they need to do or enjoy doing. Absolutely. And I think that's what we can see from some of these smaller businesses that are now growing very quickly because they have hit the sort of zeitgeist and you know what people are really thinking about at the moment and, and being able to give them what they want, um, which is, let's face it, what retail is all about at the end of the day. It absolutely is. Sarah, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. One very last question, very important question as well. How can people get in touch to continue the conversation with you? Well, thank you very much, Oliver. Yes. So I'm on LinkedIn, Sarah Morris, and I've also got a website, www.sarahmorrisosoak.com. And or you can email me directly at sarah at sarahmorrisosoak.com. So delighted to hear from people with their views on this subject. Super. And how, how can you help companies as well, I should ask? Well, what I've tended to find is where I can help most is um, working with commercial teams to help them evolve and transform to meet the challenges of today's retail. My DNA is in sort of buying and merchandising. So mm. it's in that space working with the sort of strategy and operational delivery is where I've, I add most value, I think. Perfect. Well, I will make sure that all of your contact details are on the show notes page. So if you're listening in and you want to get in touch with Sarah, she can help you or you want to continue the conversation on from this episode, then do head over to the show notes page and get in touch. Sarah, this has been a really wonderful conversation. I knew it was going to be. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. Thank you, Oliver. It's been a real pleasure. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye. So I do hope that you enjoyed the session there with Sarah Morris. If you'd like to get in touch with Sarah, all of her contact details and links to her LinkedIn and website and so on are on the show notes page, which today is obandco.uk slash 115. Now, Sarah made some excellent points in that conversation. And there are a number of things which set pure play retailers apart from their traditional counterparts whether it's their enhanced digital capability, using data more, or being able to personalize offers more, or whether it's about being more customer focused or more flexible or finding it easier to do testing. And of course, not having to deal with legacy issues, large structures, and even complex systems as well. Pure play retailers are quite naturally more agile than traditional retailers. And that's not so much to do with the channel that they work in, but it's to do with the age of the company and the mindset of the leadership and the entire culture there, of course, as well. Now, one of the things we didn't really touch on was that pure play retailers are agile at the moment. But for younger companies right now, where they're quick and flexible, they, of course, have to learn to transform themselves or risk becoming old and complex and embedded with legacy systems and structures themselves, of course, as the market continues to move on. So being able to transform really is an ongoing skill set for all companies. And the other point I wanted to highlight out was when Sarah mentioned about bigger, bolder moves and changes are not 
easy to be successful with, which is so true. You know, let's be honest, all transformation really does tend to be bigger, bolder changes. Yes, you could say there are smaller changes within them. That's fine. But the bigger transformational ones do have to be bolder. And it's not easy. Otherwise, we'd all just do it. And there are many, many factors within a transformation, many elements to consider. And the idea, the concept, the what is only a very small part of what it takes to be successful in your transformation. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you to help build out not just the idea, but all the elements that surround the idea as well. And that's both through this podcast, The Retail Transformation Show, which, by the way, if you are new to, you should definitely hit subscribe in your podcast player. It comes out every single week. And there's a whole back catalogue. This is episode 115, so you've got plenty of episodes to go back through and revisit. But not only through the podcast, as well as virtual events that I run. And of course, as a, a consultant or advisor myself, helping you to put in place the plans, the approaches, the strategies and the tactics that you need to make your retail transformation a huge success. And it absolutely can be done and you can do it. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to chat through anything, you can reach me by email oliver.banks at obandco.uk or find me on LinkedIn. And I'll put those details on the show notes page today as well, of course, obandco.uk slash 115. And very quickly, just before we do wrap up this episode, I just had a couple of episode recommendations for you to go and discover in the archives if you are new to the show. Sarah made a great point about purpose being really important, and I absolutely agree with that. And if you'd like to know more about purpose, then I suggest you head over to episode 101, number 101, where James Bolly and I are talking all about purpose and how to put that into action to guide your transformation. You may also enjoy my 10 P's to help transform retail, and you can find those in episode 90 and 91. That's a two-part episode, so episode 90 and 91. And then finally, 2021 is here, so why not check out my important transformational themes for the year? And you can hear all about them in episode 112, episode 112. So there are a few episodes to check out. If you can't recall any of these, then check out the show notes from today. Everything is over there, obandco.uk slash 115. If that's the only thing you can remember, that's what you need to know. All righty, well, thank you for tuning in today. It's been a pleasure, as always, to spend time with you. Do remember to share this podcast, let your network know, let your friends know, let your contacts know, and let your team know as well. And I really look forward to joining you on another episode very soon. All right then, bye for now. <laughs>